Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, and Brian Gottlieb is not joining us this week. In his place, I have recruited a Hearthstone professional player, former Magic professional player, John Westberg, and John and I have known each other since, what, like 2012 or something? It's It's been a few years. Oh, for sure. It's been way before even Hearthstone came around. I think it must have been like 20... Yeah, yeah, 2012, 2013, somewhere around there. So it's it's been quite a while. Yeah, so we just ended up talking on Twitter, I think, maybe for the first time when you were qualified for the World Magic Cup, and we were just discussing deck lists and choices and stuff. And I remember at the time, you struck me as a person who was very thoughtful about their approach to the game, and I was just like, I like this guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I I remember that actually. It's I mean back then I was just I, I liked magic a lot. I mean I still do, and I used to grind uh, magic online for uh, so many hours each day. Like we could, I could play up up towards like ten hours a day. I spent pretty much all my free time on uh, on playing magic online, and of course I'd been following like you and all a bunch of the other magic pros. So it was pretty cool. Like I remember I was. Uh, you're like, oh, I, I got to work with with Jerry Thompson. That that's super cool. And we seem to enjoy each other's like thought process and stuff, and uh, it turned out really good. So happy about that. Yeah, and then at some point you ended up moving over to Hearthstone. What was the impetus behind that? So it's actually pretty funny. It's it, one of my friends from Magic that uh, pointed out Hearthstone to me, like, oh, this is pretty much like. Magic Online, but it's it's in a better client. Here in Europe, it's kind of different. We don't have as many events or like as many PDQs, or we don't have the Star City Game Tour, etc. So living in a pretty small city, I didn't have very many local tournaments to play, and I kind of just wanted to get an outlet to be able to play a lot. That's why I played Magic Online. But as many of many of the listeners already know, Magic Online can be a little bit frustrating at times, and even more back then. So I kind of just switched to uh, Hearthstone because it was simply a better online client and you could get in a, a really nice volume of games over short periods of time. And I and that was what I enjoyed about Magic Online. And then that kind of ended up working out really well for me. I'd done a career from it since like early 2015 or something now. And when you downloaded Hearthstone for the first time, were you like, okay, I know exactly what organized play is like for this game and I'm going to try and play this professionally instead of magic or did that just happen kind of incidentally it, it happened very incidentally back when I started there wasn't really any any organized uh, organized play in Hearthstone whatsoever like the esports scene had had barely started there were barely any tournaments stuff like that I, I think you uh, played about to be a little bit bigger in magic than I was. I really wasn't really a, a professional gamer in it in that sense uh, back then. Yeah. So, I, well, so people people use that term pretty loosely. It's like you, uh, you have qualified for a professional level event, therefore you are a pro. All right. If, if we want to... Okay, we, let's put it like that. that. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Yeah, no, I, I had no clue. I kind of just played the games because I enjoyed them. I really didn't have too much, um, too much of an intention to go professional. I mean, I already always liked playing games, but it's kind kind of a hobby thing. I esports wasn't even as big as it is now, and making a career of it was something that sounded very, very distant to me and wasn't really something I thought about. But I just started competing in 
various qualifiers and did really well in them. And before I knew it, I I took took down my first mayor and had had a contract with an with an esports organization that wanted me to play professionally for them, and and kind of went from there. So it it was a pretty cool. Never something I really expected, but I'm very happy the path it took me down to today. Yeah, and for a while there, you know, Hearthstone has these various invitationals and things like that that different companies will put on and everything and your your win rate in a lot of those you know one-off tournaments was very good right right yeah so i actually have magic to thank for a lot of a lot of the success i've had in hostin or at least how i was able to propel it into a career because when the game was very new there were people coming from all different directions of esports. Like people came from StarCraft and World of Warcraft and, you know, all of these games that didn't really had like, if you came from those games into Hearthstone, you didn't really, there were not a lot of lessons you could take from those games and apply to Hearthstone. But luckily for me, I had magic. So when the game was really new and we had all these early invitationals and stuff, I had more experience in card games and lessons from Magic, I was very quick to apply to Hearthstone. And that's why I think I got these like insane win rates in Hearthstone early on. And then from there on, I've just been able to work on those. And now I guess it's more the other way around that when I play Magic, I apply the things I learned from Hearthstone. But uh, they, they kind of play into each other. And it's, it's really cool to compare the games and see like, oh, this that I learned in Magic, I'll, I'll, I'll just try and apply this sort of thinking to Hearthstone and vice versa. Yeah, I think playing a lot of Hearthstone, like specifically things like Murloc Paladin a couple of years ago. Yeah. And learning how exactly to deploy like a certain amount of threats to force your opponent to play like a certain card, right? It's like, well, on, on this turn, I want them to have to play Consecration in order to survive or whatever. And then you get to punish them by like reloading and building a board that they can't deal with on turn five or whatever, like just the sequencing and pressuring and how you force your opponent. Like you get to dictate what they do just by playing the beatdown deck. Like that, that taught me a lot. And I was able to transfer that stuff back into magic too. Yeah. It's a bunch of that stuff. I feel like one of the, in, in Hearthstone, just, just as you're saying, you're like, you're testing your opponent for like, oh, do they have this card? Do they have this answer? And as you do this, you sculpt like a very strong read of their hand. I would say that Hobson is a lot about figuring out exactly what your opponent works with and how to navigate around that, which also becomes easier because of the smaller deck sizes. Like we only have 30 cards instead of 60. That's one of the things that I now, now when I come back to Magic or like when I played Magic in, in my later years, this like resource management and how to is it Phoenix, for example, in the pioneer, like you're pretty much working with like a very large portion of your deck in each long game because you have so much velocity and so much card draw decks like those. I feel like I got an, a lot better at where I was really bad at playing that sort of style in magic previously, but now after playing a bunch of Hearthstone, it just like feels right in my right, right up my alley to, to play decks like that, which is pretty okay. cool. Well, what else have, has been transferable like from Hearthstone back to magic or vice versa. Like is what, what are, what are the secrets orange? <laughs> well, what are the secrets? I mean, these days I feel like whereas I've g- gained uh, some stuff from Hearthstone, I feel like I've lost, um, 
lost a little bit in the terms of when it comes to uh, in magic like technical play of when it comes to just playing to the board and doing proper attacks and how to work with known information is a lot more important and like plays a way bigger role than it uh, does in Hearthstone. I mean, both of course matters, but I mean in comparison to each other. So I feel like I got a bit rusty at that, but uh, when it comes to the unknown information and uh, how to how to plan and sculpt the game plan, that's that sort of stuff. I, f- I think it's all just when you try to playing each game. I don't think it has too much to do with the technique technicalities of each game but more just always looking to improve and always striving to improve that's what i've seen in pro players in both games pretty much that as long as you got this drive to like keep improving and not be too proud of yourself and be like oh i'm i'm a perfect player i play so well i got nothing to learn then i feel that you can become and and you don't lose sight of this then just go for it and you can become good and pretty much anything if, if if you really put the time in and stuff like that too well we were talking in 2012 you started hearthstone in 2015 and then this last year you were part of hearthstone grandmasters which i i think is basically like magic's mpl feel free to correct me if i'm wrong no it's very very similar from from okay. what i've been able to to see yeah so You've fallen out of that. I, I keep seeing your name pop up in the Magic Online, like Pioneer Daily Event deck list, like 505050. <laughs> uh, so obviously you're playing you're playing a bunch of Magic these days. Like what, what's going on with you? What's your plan now? It's uh, basically, I, I, I fell out of Brownmasters, but I'm going to make a, a good attempt to get back into it, which is, it is really hard, but... Uh, I got the next year and hopefully more that I can uh, that I still got uh, the resources try try and get back in it having contract with my team and stuff like that. Uh, now we're in a bit of an off season, so while it may like coincidentally like oh he got out of Grandmasters and now he's playing a bunch of Magic, it's more <laughs> it's more like uh, we're kind of in an off season in Hearthstone right now. And uh, when we do, I usually tend to come back. I've done this uh, numerous times uh, through the previous years where I come back to Magic and try to get good at a format just to for for a change of pace, you know. But now without Grandmasters, I do have some more time that I could uh, could afford to commit to Magic. So you, you never know. Right now I'm kind of playing and just like the enjoyment of figuring out a new format. I really think that's a ton of fun with Pioneer. But I don't have any grand plans on uh, switching to magic or, or something like that at the moment although i still very very much in, enjoy playing the game and uh, i think the next half expansion drops it in over a month and until then i'm probably going to be playing the majority of just pioneer and magic and uh, try to figure the format out fair enough well i was hoping that it was just the allure of pioneer and you know the the fact that this is magic kind of as you've known it for like the last five years or whatever, but also like maybe a lot of the stuff that you missed and everything and you yeah. just, you couldn't resist. I was hoping you were back. It, it, it is it is a lot of that. I mean, the more I played, the more I'm like, oh God, this is, I, I kind of missed playing magic and I, I really feel that. And I feel like you can probably, I bet you agree with me on this one, that them just announcing a format with no ban list, pretty much telling telling us that, hey, this format is very breakable, go out and do it. For a competitive player, that's the dream. 
like being able to oh, do yeah. busted stuff and uh, having them like finding this one broken thing and then you can abuse it for a while at least that's what i really enjoy in these games so pioneer was perfect it's one of the most fun things i've ever done in any card game i'd say well what what is your process like i mean i i assume you know some of my history where it's like i used to carry around a notebook with me everywhere and would always be writing down deck lists. now i do a lot of that stuff on my phone but like what appeals to you? Like when Pioneer gets announced, is there like a certain interaction you're looking for? Is there like a card specifically that you want to build around? Like what sparks your interest? I, I think you and I differ a lot of that. Well, you well, you take a lot of notes and being uh, like processing uh, like a lot of information and uh, piecing it together. I tend to just go to... Uh, to what I really, really enjoy playing. For example, now I knew that Forces was legal and uh, I started looking at like, oh, how how do we play Forces in this format? I actually got started with Pioneer on Magic Online seeing uh, the Vanifar uh, Cat Sahili deck from Joe Mana 5. I think like I relaxed, retweeted him or something and I, I saw a deck and I was like, oh, okay, this doesn't play Forces, but it's kind of right up my alley with some value uh, green mid-range creatures with a combo finish so i just started playing that i queued it up in the leagues and as i was playing against decks that i thought had potential i i, I tried them out for a few games and i go oh, do i like this do i not and uh, just moved on tried decks until i found found stuff that i liked without really trying to piece the format together uh, like in in a, in a bigger sort of picture just like trial and error kind of testing process, I guess, would be how I do things. And while you're going through this process, are you like changing the decks also, or are you mostly just trying out what lists are posted until you find like an actual strategy, then you'll go to work tuning it? I, I've been trying to stay disciplined with, it's so <laughs> easy to see a deck and you're like, oh, but I can make this improvement. But uh, I've been trying to stay disciplined on that and actually try out the deck I'm copied like card by card before I make any changes and run it for, for at least a league or two before I start changing cards in them. And then also like if I play against someone with a similar deck list and they do something different and I get some idea from that, then, then I might copy that too pretty soon. But I, I wouldn't say I have like this well thought out process. I can just play a lot and it's always been how I approached games that if, if I play enough, then... Uh, then I'll learn things as I go. I kind of learn the bigger picture just through playing. Right. So how do you feel about the format in general? I mean, obviously, like, hey, here's this format with no ban list. You you want to try and break it or at least, you know, find the broken strategies and stuff like that. But like, how do you feel about their strategy with introducing this format and having like potential weekly ban list updates and stuff like that? I mean, for, for me... I can see this being annoying for collectors and like finance people that probably like sits on cards and try to like estimate their value and stuff. For me, that just want to play a form and have fun. I I do I do enjoy this. I really don't mind if I think I would be happy if like the deck I'm playing got banned because like oh cool I found it this week. Let's let's move on to the next one and see. Yeah, see yeah. If you, I can you, find a you count that as a win, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for me, it's fun. I can see why people wouldn't like it as as much for for several reasons but for me I don't, I don't mind weekly bands and how it shakes up the format every week like for example we got the band list for 
for this week, just, just recently, and uh, I'm really looking to uh, dive into the a new, somewhat fresh meta game uh, as as we finish up this podcast and try some stuff out. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm keeping you from actually grinding Pioneer. My apologies. Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> I, I, grind, <laughs> I grind so much. I I enjoy a good chat. <laughs> Sure. So you you were working on a lot of Sultai pre-ban, and we we talked briefly about that. And you had a bunch of interesting ideas and stuff. Like you cut uh, Drown in the Lock, you had Nissa Vital Force, you had Tassiger instead of Dig Through Time. None of none of the cards in your deck got banned. So counting that as an L. Yeah, I. Uh... Went into the first uh, empty uh, like Moto PDQ this weekend, and I was looking at especially the four color cat deck. But I also started to sense like how how broken Mono Green Devotion was, and mm-hmm. I I wanted to make the switch to Catherine. It's like I kind of I, I still felt that Salt I was pretty good, and I did like my list, so I didn't do the last minute change and play the deck that I thought was more powerful but me and uh, a friend here from sweden uh Vida, worked a lot on on Soltai. it won the first pioneer challenge like the very first tournament that was held on uh, or like mayor tournament of uh, magic online i guess you could say i tried it out in the beginning with all the drowning logs and the dig through times and uh, but it felt good like dig through time always felt like it was pretty underwhelming and uh, drowning the lock could be very awkward early in the game we thought that the format would be very dictated by oko which i mean was partly true but it turned out like cat and uh, devotion was just better but with that in mind like we looked at cards like scarab god and other big mid-range uh, trumps for those matchups but everything just matched up so poorly against oko and that's uh, how you just went through gatherer and looked at mainly the planeswalkers where i managed to find nissa and it started out as like this, like oh maybe we can just try her as a one off and see if she's good. But the more we played with uh, Nissa Vital Force, I guess I should say, because there's so many of them these days. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and and she just turned out to be really good. Then like the dig for time for Tassiger came up later, and it was actually you that made me switch so that I had two of Tassiger in the deck, which has just been amazing. And you play more like the old school John style where you disrupt them early and then you try to just put a quick clock on them instead of uh, playing a longer game with dig for times and stuff and it's been yeah. it's been fine for me i think it's full position now especially after bans yeah so first of all this is going to change your life scryfall.com scryfall.com this is like gatherer but strictly better oh god <laughs> i <laughs> i did this this is how new is this jerry i need to know <laughs> I only started using it recently. It is several years old. Okay. A lot of people were like talking about it, but I'm I'm kind of like a old grumpy man, like set in my ways. I was like, well, I know how to use gatherer, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and then I finally actually started using it. And I'm just like, oh God, this is so much better. Uh, this, this, just from typing it into the search bar, it's like seeing the first thing like, yep, this is what I'm using from now on. Yeah. Uh, you can, from their homepage, you can scroll to the bottom and make an account. It's free. And you can just like load up deck lists and you can like import export them from Magic Online and everything. It is very good. Damn, that's like, I'm definitely going to start using this one from now on for sure. So yeah, we, we've been shouting them out like the, the last few weeks as it comes up because it has been like an a- absolute game changer for me. But yeah, so now now the bans happen. 
Yeah. You were playing Soul Tide before. I assume Devotion and I mean, maybe Cat was a decent matchup for you, but like Devotion had to be a pretty bad matchup. And now that that's maybe not gone, but certainly weakened, is Soul Tide just going to be where you keep going? I I think so. I Cat was so good at playing the mid range game against you. I whenever I played the matchup, it all always felt rough. You had you had removal, but between like Felder Guardian and Ophamesa, they they could grind you out a lot of the time. So I th- I think that's a pretty big W for Soltai that uh, that Cad Cad is gone now and Devotion of course got weaker. I think that there are some decks that I've been feels beatable but still a little bit problematic. For example, uh, Arclight Phoenix I uh, suspect is going to be quite strong now after bans. That deck is tricky for Soltai, I would say. It's it's not necessarily super bad, but just like how consistent that deck is and how how in longer games the Soltai deck can be a little bit inconsistent, like top tanking, you know, fort seizes and stuff between the deck that just draws draw twos and treasure crews, it can be a little bit right. tough. But I still think I'm gonna I'm gonna play Soltai for for the next few days and if it doesn't work out, which I'd be surprised if it doesn't. Uh, honestly, I'm I'm looking at Phoenix as well as my two decks that I'm pretty interested in now after bans. Is there anything that you tried pre-ban that, or you know, maybe something that you wanted to try? Like, what what are things that are on your list that you haven't crossed off yet? Because now, if you start playing with Sultai and nothing gets banned from that deck i think that like that's pretty likely that nothing will get banned like you might just end up playing sultai for forever man <laughs> i mean i i do like my fort thesis um i don't have too much like on my list of, of stuff i want to do i've been so like if cat didn't get uh, banned i was gonna try and try and go into that instead but now it's pretty much just like phoenix sultai it's pretty much what one of those two but also just waiting it out looking at seeing if there's like a deck list dump of like five and O decks and see if there's anything interesting there you you see what everyone else comes up with and if there's anything that uh, catches my eye there do, do you have anything in mind that you like now postman well i was trying to fix a lot of the problems with aetherworks marvel and i know that that has just been like the biggest disappointment for the entire format probably right. just because you're you're pigeonholed into playing like all these mediocre energy cards, even though, you know, Marvel into Emrakul is super powerful and everything, but the rest of your deck is just generally so bad. And the disruption in the format's very good. Yep. You know, Piffing Needle, Graft Digger's Cage, Thoughtseize, Trophy, like Marvel didn't have to deal with that stuff before. The fear is also... Oh yeah, that one too. Yeah, so you got a lot of hurdles to overcome. And the trick to making Marvel work is going to be able or going to be able to cast uh, Emrakul naturally when they are disrupting you. Right. And I haven't figured out exactly the best way to go about doing that. There's a lot of different lists I have that are like very close. Right. You just got to find that one thing that uh, like really pieces it together. I feel like Rogue Refiner especially it's like a card i always look at like i i want this as like a a corner piece of uh, on my deck i know you wrote in your article about uh, rogue refiner just like competing with so many free mana planeswalkers now i guess in yeah. all fairness it competes with one less free mana planeswalker but i still feel like 
the the format should probably get a little bit more fair with the or a lot more fair even with these bans, and then at, at least that's what I think. Like, correct me if you think something else, but then playing a energy shell with rogue refiner, and there's also like some other energy cards that I could also see being quite useful. Like, I, I'm not convinced that you don't want to play like a four color list, maybe with like Glint sleeve siphoner and stuff like that. Sure. That's something that I would yeah, like I, to look at. But then again, it's just like I have a rough idea. I wouldn't be able to really put a list together. Okay. Yeah. So you would just wait for someone to 5-0 with an approximation. And then you're like, okay, you know, this this person did all the work for me. Exactly. <laughs> I played against a few interesting interesting lists in the leagues, like now pre-Bandon. But for example, I had this guy that played in four color yeah, four color energy package with also food package with a full like, goose. Oko and Wicked Wolf together with like the Rogue Refiners, the Harness Lightnings, the Glainsleeve Siphoner. Yeah, there was the Feldar Guardian combo in there, but also had a bunch of interesting top ends. For example, I even saw like Nickel Ballas in uh, in game one, the seven mana Nickel Ballas. <laughs> oh, weird. Servant of the Conduit. Ramp Creatures, big payoff cards, and once upon a time, seems like it could be a pretty successful recipe but you probably need me to tell you that that's probably on everyone's mind yeah i i do agree with you that the format's gonna get a lot more fair because you don't have things like copycat that are just demanding that you interact with them on like turn three turn four and kind of the same thing with devotion too where you basically needed to kill their elf or their ley line otherwise they were just gonna make like six mana on turn three and put the game away uh, but now that those things aren't there, I think people can afford to play a little bit slower, but then that means that the format is also ripe for people to exploit that. Yeah. It's uh, it's all about finding these combo decks that, because the disruption in Pioneer is very is very good, like both the disruption and the removal is really good, but being able to find these combo decks that like sidestep those or just is, are resilient enough to... Uh, like not make those kill your combo like that's that's the key that that's what the mono green devotion did that's what cat did now it's just like when those are gone are there other combo decks that does that for example if the format slows down as you said you don't need like early interaction as much anymore does emrakul just become a way way better card as you were on like as as you were talking a little bit about earlier because if you play emrakul based combo yeah, that's that's kind of what it seems like to me. I mean, I started off with those decks uh, because I really like Emrakul. I like the idea of just, you know, making your land drops, drawing cards, killing things, and then you have this inevitability with this giant thing. And the games basically all play out the same way, you know, which is kind of cool. But then Emrakul against things like Devotion and Cat doesn't really get the job done. Right. But with those gone, it might be the best endgame threat. For sure, one of my one of my favorite standard decks from, from I played standard like every now and then f- throughout these half years was uh, playing the Delirium uh, Ishkana Emrakul Traverse deck in the Smuggler's Cup yeah. meta. Especially Traverse is a card that's in in a fair meta and in a less uh, answer demanding meta like the Cat one. Maybe maybe you can just play like straight up. Black green delirium now with uh, with not as much interaction and 
that could also. I'm mostly looking at the Faradex, <laughs> but Far- yeah, Faradex that can do semi-unfair stuff, but really a strike. Yeah, dude, that. we all have our biases. Of, of course, of course. So why why Saltai instead of something like the Delirium decks? Well, I mean, now it has been Saltai. I think that the the combination of I think that Saltai pretty much like built itself in in this format. Because you had uh, abrupt decay was just looking as in a format dominated by three mana planeswalkers. Abrupt decay is by far the best removal spell, I'd say. I think, and uh, I mean, there's some disagreement on that. That Oko is just the best planeswalker that has ever been printed. So I knew I wanted that in my deck. On top of like Jace and Forties just being amazing cards, I, I think. And then you just like shelled out the deck from there, and I think that was. A pretty, pretty easy start for like any fair interactive deck in this format, or at least that's what brought me to it. Yeah, what's your verdict on Oko? Best planeswalker of all time, or no? I I would say that it's the best uh, best planeswalker of all time. I played with most of them, and uh, Oko for sure feels the most powerful to me. Uh, how about you? Do you think that? I'm I'm getting there. It's weird because. Like the the words on the card are not that scary, right? But like the the play patterns, and once you actually get it onto the battlefield and start playing with it and realizing all the different things that you can do with it, it it is very impressive every single time. For sure, I think it's more about the numbers being very scary. All the numbers yeah. are very. I, I I saw someone tweet that if you that Oka would be an interesting and fun card if you just changed every single number on it, and I kind of agree with that. Yeah. So I don't know. I've I've played like a little bit of Legacy and a decent amount of Modern, certainly a lot of Pioneer and a lot of Standard. And it's it's just one of the cards that I want to put in basically all of my decks in all of those formats. So that's that should be pretty telling. Yeah, it says, says a lot about the card. I, I saw it in the spoiler and didn't think much of it, but it didn't take me many games in Standard to be like, I'm probably going to play this card until it gets banned for where I expected yeah. to get banned in a lot of formats. Even I definitely sense that in the upcoming weeks there's gonna be an Oka ban. Maybe not next week, but in the upcoming ones, I'd say that it's likely that there's an Oka ban in Pioneer too. My five cents. You you think we're there yet? I mean so devotion is gone, but there are certainly decks that can kind of take its place as far as invalidating the, the ramp strategies. So uh, Raging Tilt Monster, top eight of the challenge with the mono green ramp deck. Yeah. I assume you've seen this. Yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah, so like four four Ugins, Emrakul, Ulamog at the end game, Hour of Promise, stuff like that. I think there is still a few unfair things we got to churn through on the ban list first. But uh, when the when the format eventually gets to like being a little bit like making room for these mid-range uh, fair decks, then I think that Oka is going to get into the same level or like maybe not the same level as in standard but close to it and it is like somewhere down the line but not quite yet yeah I, that's that's why within like a few weeks i mean i, I don't think we're going to get there that quickly yeah. but certainly you, you remove cat and devotion from the format and that opens up slots for like you, you can just say that the format's going to be more fair more mid-rangey but i honestly think that there are just going to be decks that kind of replace what those decks were doing 
So in, in the case of copycat, uh, Kethis, I think, does a lot of the same things where they get to play a very fair game while also just having this inevitable end game combo. You need to have to like disrupt them, not necessarily early because their combo is kind of slow, but like certainly going long, you can't really afford to do that against them because eventually they're going to piece it all together, right? So you need disruption plus very fast clock. Yeah, yeah. So do you do you have any experience like with or against Kethis? Did you play with that deck when it was in standard or anything like that? <laughs> no, I don't. I I I've streamed a few Marlin leagues from my or Pioneer leagues uh, from my Twitch channel. We had a great moment when I, I, I faced this Kethis combo, and I've just seen lists of in, it in standard, and I had a somewhat good grasp of how the combo worked. But when it came to like four season them knowing exactly like what combo pieces to like exactly what sort of game plan I should sculpt to disrupt their combo the best. It it just became a mess. I I, I do not have a ton of experience with or against the deck, and uh, my viewers okay. got to have a very funny moment uh, seeing me sit there and like trying to puzzle it all together. And like, so if he's trying to do this, then these are the pieces I want to go for, and this is what I want to do, etc. But uh, it's one of the decks that I'm probably looking to learn a little bit better down the line now it hasn't been very prevalent in in the format we had yesterday so um, I, I i probably wait until it becomes like a big uh, a big deck in uh, in the meta game and uh, learn it then well look man that that match against kethis your first match against kethis that was playtest it's fine <laughs> It's it's maybe a little bit awkward that everyone's watching you as right. you're trying to figure things out, you know, but I, I think that was everyone's first game against it, and you don't play a ton of magic, and your viewers probably play more than you, so probably. You're off the hook. I mean, I I see most of the I, I get this question quite a bit now when I play in the leagues and like people see me have all these weird cards in my decks. They're like, wait, why would you play this? And I'm like, I'm literally just playtesting in these leagues. Like I I'm just trying a bunch of stuff out, and uh, a lot of the things you see in my 5-0 list, like, I happen to win matches, but I, I usually just try all of this stuff out in the leagues, and then I try to, like, finalize something good that I think is, like, the actual optimal list for the PDQs. So I, I would say advice, like, for anyone that sees, like, 5-0 lists under my name, that if there's weird cars there, it's probably just me testing them out. Yeah, and then in the case of something like Nissa and maybe Tassiger, right. it's like, well, those cards were good, and I'm going to add more of them to my deck. But unless you're actually playing in a big tournament or a tournament that matters, everything else is just learning, right? For like sure. you're preparing for that event. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And it's it's so satisfying when you when you do that sort of stuff, and then something sticks. Like for example, I have a Demir Charm in my sideboard now. It was like. Let's yeah. throw this card in there, and it's like, oh damn, it was really good. Kills thing and dies, contrast treasure crews. It's like pretty good against the mana dork decks. Like I've just been liking it, and I don't think the mirror charm is something. If you go into the mindset that I always need to play the optimal list, then I never think you get to a spot where you where you try a card like the mirror charm in your salt list. If you always try to play the best list, right? And now. You said you might add a second copy too. Right? Yeah, I, I talked a little bit about it after looking over the list more. I'm not entirely sure how I can justify having two of that effect. I think one might be might be the sweet spot for that card, but it also depends on like how the meta shapes up now and such. So you never know. Well, I would I would expect a lot of Phoenix uh, anytime there is a ban and. 
you know, Phoenix was maybe the third or fourth best deck. I don't know, or at least like most popular and nothing got hit from that deck. Like I would just expect a lot of people who were doing things like playing cat to just move on to the next best thing. Right. Sure. I think I coming for battling Phoenix with Saltai. I think I like the idea that you had of going a little bit more extreme and moving on to the Leyline of the Voids. I've tried it briefly now, and I like it, but the, the problem I did with the Leyline of the Void for the Arclight Phoenix matchup was that I paired it together with uh, Negates and Disdainful Strokes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which wasn't a great cyber plan because it meant that in the later stages of the game, I just drew like extra Leylines or counter spells while being beat down by like a 3-2 Arclight Phoenix and not having removal for it. So I think I'm going to try a cyber plan against Arclight Phoenix uh, with ley lines and uh, more removal for their stuff. Hopefully removal that can also take out stuff like Kuranos and Planeswalkers. If there's such a thing. <laughs> you know, broad answers plus ley lines. And right. if that works, then I think and I can actually make the matchup against Phoenix like a really good one, then I think Soltai is in a very good spot going into this week. Yeah, I keep trying to figure out what the optimal sideboard plan is for Phoenix because you're going to be facing down uh, maybe a decent amount of Graveyard Hate. And I think Graveyard Hate has a a likelihood of going up. Yeah. And at that point, your engine is turned off, your best card like Arclight Phoenix is turned off, and you have to find some way to pivot around that stuff. And there's, there's no like slam dunk answer, right? It's like, Royal Scion, Chandra, Brazen Borrower, maybe Glorybringer. Yeah. And these things are like all okay, but, you know, just like Chandra versus a Tassiger or a Nissa or even like an Oko, it's just, it doesn't accomplish all that much. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, in large, I think I like the idea of like the Brazen Borrower, Glorybringer, or, or even Kiranos. I mean, Abrupt Decay gets sideboard out a lot, so maybe uh, Royal Science is good. It depends a little bit on how you expect your reactive opponents to what what they what they do against you. But I think in if you bring in like extra fet- threats in somewhat large numbers, and your opponents are all bringing a bunch of uh, graveyard hate and trying and fight you on that axis, like I don't think you need your the cards you bring in to even be that great because if your opponent's cyber cards aren't just that efficient, then even the most mediocre threats are, are going to do it, right? Yeah, the, the problem is that that's when you're playing in leagues against people who are unprepared. But when you go to like the PTQs or GPs or anything like that, it's like these people have looked at the list. They see that most of the lists have things like Royal Scions, Sahili, Brazen Borrower in the sideboard, and they're going to keep in Abrupt Decay and Assassin Trophy and stuff like that and be ready for the things that you're trying to juke them with in the sideboard. So like, what is, what is the truth of the matchup when both players know what's going on? That's what I want to figure right. out. Yeah. I, I would need to, to do some, do some more testing to I, that's probably when you should like more queue it up against people that know what they're doing and you just like play, play testing matches instead of queuing it up in leagues. But it, right. it's the same equivalent of like playing in Hearthstone that we very, very rarely queue up ladder when it comes to playtesting because that's kind of useless but like the most efficient playtesting is pretty much always just playing one-on-one like hanging out in discord and discussing things together trying to figure out that way and uh, I, I think you can see that with at least in Hearthstone that the people probably like place 
plays the least ladder or doesn't focus too much on like what the in-game mode and focuses more on playtesting within their playtesting groups that are most often the the most successful ones. So maybe maybe taking a similar approach in Magic is pr- probably the better idea. I'd... Yeah, let let's break from Pioneer for a second and talk about this okay. because there's 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 a pretty big difference between how people operate in Hearthstone and test for tournaments and test for like pro tours and stuff. And you know about like the, the big magic testing houses and the teams and, and things like that. And Hearthstone seems like it's smaller groups in general, and maybe even like a decent amount of people working on their own and everything. And obviously the term tournament formats are different because, you know, you're doing things like uh, conquest or whatever, and like building lineups versus just like building a deck right but like is there anything that you have learned from hearthstone and preparing for those tournaments that you think is applicable to magic like are people in magic just doing it all wrong and i'm actually really happy that you brought this up so i touched upon it a little bit earlier that when i first started out in hearthstone it wasn't like established at all and it was just um, just becoming a thing so that means that like all of the things that when it comes to testing and how to test, it all has been built from scratch and like not something. I think that I were one of the first ones to like start organizing large, like a bit of a larger playtesting groups, and with larger I mean doing like five to eight people. That's pretty large right. in in Hearthstone and. I was the, one of the first ones that took incentive to do that. And honestly, what I tried to do back then was to just copy what I've seen in Magic with these like big playtesting houses. And I tried to replicate that to Hearthstone. I was, okay, so these pros have had success in Magic when they do this and talk very, like say very good things about it. Let's see if we can apply it to Hearthstone. And then it's kind of evolved from there. So I think the concept of it is just the same as... Uh, from these these playtesting houses and uh, how you just test in-house versus each other a lot and try to uh, keep the info hidden or what you're up to uh, until you bring it to a tournament. I think it's more similar than one one would think because I think that the Hawson concept has evolved from from the magic one. So what's what's different? Like it, mm. knowing what you know now, if you were going to start a magic testing team, how would you go about it? I mean, I'm not exactly sure. The the one big different thing is like just what you're saying that in Hearthstone, we bring like several different decks. We have like four decks usually that we bring to us to a tournament, which means that we need to know a way broader. Like we need to know way more matchups inside and out. You can compare this to sideboard games, but I would say that it's like quite a lot different of knowing like each matchup like post board and just playing entirely different matchups and and, and how and how they're being played out. Uh, right. You you need to know how to play like you know control warrior and aggro hunter or whatever, which exactly. are just two vastly different things and you know maybe it doesn't make sense to have both of those in the same lineup or whatever but yeah regardless you you end up having to master different play styles when you know we we just talked about how we have biases in magic there are things that we lean towards so right are are people in hearthstone just more well-rounded in general you think i i think that goes for like being a successful 
uh, Hearthstone player that you kind of have you kind of some bias towards decks, but uh, it would really hurt you in the long run if you like really try to stick to this because there's also like. I mean, that's true for Magic too, but in different metas, like new things can be like vastly more powerful than than something else. And you have to, and being able to adapt is just like, I think it's one of the more more useful skill sets you can have in Hearthstone. Whereas in Magic, I think the same applies for like Standard, but when you play something like Pioneer or Modern or Legacy, then it's kind of nice that you can kind of have your bias and it... While it might not always be the best thing you can do, it's it works just fine. And that's one of the things that I really like when I go back to Magic, that I can always look at, like, say, playing Four Seasons Tarmogoyf, and it's probably still going to be good, just like it was several years ago. If you try and do that in Hearthstone, that you wouldn't be able to... Right now, if you had played Face Hunter back in the day, and you come to Hearthstone now, it's very hard to find something that's similar of that just because the game changes a lot more. Yeah, and smaller card pool overall because all the tournaments are basically standard, right? Yeah, yeah, we only really have standard as as a tournament format. I mean, now, just today, a new play mode got announced for Hearthstone, but I, I doubt we'd see that in tournaments either. So, Okay, well, I mean, there's always the option of the grassroots invitational type stuff uh, hosting things like that and maybe that gets off the ground but it doesn't seem like those things really like those initiatives really happen in Hearthstone. yeah no not not it was way more of that back in the day these days it's mostly just going to the master tours that they have that are very similar to the old pro tours and playing in them and there's really not a whole lot of tournaments in between do you think it's weird how blizzard started hearthstone and very much did their own thing with how their organized play was structured. And now it seems like they are kind of copying magic system more and more, whereas magic is trying to move away from magic's old system. <laughs> I, it's, it's pretty funny how it is like that. What I've been able to tell with the, the Hearthstone team and people working on Hearthstone is that there's a pretty large influx of uh, magic judges or people that worked on magic previously that are now working on Hearthstone. So I think that is part of the thing why we're seeing it replicate Magic more and more. Hearthstone has had its different iterations of competitive formats or competitive systems that have been uh, more like more or less successful. Most of them not so successful. I, I can't speak for mm-hmm. them, but it seemed like it was something along the lines of that I just wanted a system and a format that they knew had worked previously and uh, that's that's how we got a system that is somewhat similar to the old magic system <laughs> and at the same time we see uh, I, I feel like they kind of came together that also at the same time magic moved to a system that was a little bit closer to hearthstones and tried a bunch of ideas right. that seemed similar to hearthstone i remember one of the mystic championships it was right where you had these uh, this somewhat lookalike conquest format for magic yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it it was pretty cool to see. I just like how it seems like the two scenes are learning from each other, and uh, I think now you could say that they're somewhat similar, at least. I mean, you can you can see similarities in both of them, and I'm pretty sure that uh, like in in a year or two, both are probably gonna have a really good systems that fits their game. Just great. I hope so, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the hope, at least. <laughs> 
I mean, you're you're gonna keep playing no matter what, right? Like you just you just want to battle. Oh yeah, for sure. I I love these games, both Magic and Hearthstone, and it's what I've been doing for the previous. How long is it now? Like twelve years or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I I don't think I'm going anywhere. If Hearthstone or Magic dies, I'll die with it. You know, I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll stick around till then. Well, what about? Other stuff, I don't know, Shadowverse, Eternal, Legends of Runeterra, stuff like that. Like, have you gotten sucked into any of these other games? I, I actually haven't, and it's pretty, pretty deliberately as well, because uh, I I know how hooked I can get on games. So when uh, when things like Shadowverse and uh, Artifact, we had to, and some other games came around, I've been trying to distance myself from them just because I don't want to take time from focusing on Hearthstone. That's why I've gone back to Magic because that's a game I'm already kind of hooked on. So that's fine. Going back yeah, to you don't, now you don't have to spend time onboarding or whatever and you know yeah. what it's going to be. Whereas any of these other games, they're, they're just formats waiting to be broken, man. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen that you play that you you were into Shadowverse a bit. I I could never I could never do that. I I need to spend so much time on one game that I really need my full focus on that to to stay at the top. I think so. I'm really impressed when people like you can uh, can focus on several games at a at a time. But I'm well, looking to get into Legends of Runeterra. That that looks that looks really cool and looks really good from what I've seen. So I'm definitely gonna try that one out. I wouldn't say that I was able to do like Shadowverse, Hearthstone, Magic all at the same time and be on top of all of them. I, I do think that there was a noticeable dip in my understanding and even just like my subconscious, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. I would find myself on arena, like trying to attack their creatures or whatever, like attack their <laughs> creatures. Directly. And it's just like, God damn it, brain. Like what, what are you doing? You know, obviously I'm not in peak condition. Right. Uh, I mean, I think all, everyone that's been playing <laughs> multiple games have, have been there have been there at some point, right, where you try, try to do stuff like that. But I also, also something, I don't know how the Batic scene now and is like their look at things being Hearthstone have to explain to people like so so many times we like have to explain it. Like being being a pro and staying on top is like one of, one of the best ones in, in a game. It takes so much time and so much effort. People always give you the, oh, you just you play games for a, for a living. That must be so easy. You just sit back and relax and play play some games every day. It's like oh, if you only knew how much work it is that you put in to try and stay on top on these things. So like yeah. trying to juggle several of those, like yeah, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, uh, we we don't play games how most people play games. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like we, we can't just like pick up a deck, sit down, play casually, and then just like not think about it any further, right? It's like, okay, well, that's how that game went. If I played this differently or if I make these card changes, you know, like you just yeah. go into the lab and <laughs> <laughs> the the competitive nature. I at family gatherings, I and they want to play like some social game together, the entire family. I always I always hate those things because I get super competitive and always trying to be like, ah, oh, wait, how do I figure this game out? What do I do? What do I do in these situations, et cetera. And they're like, just relax. We're trying to have fun. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think I know how to do that. Yep, can't. I, <laughs> I really can't do anything casually. And that's kind of the problem when I do start a, a new game because it's like, well, I have to 
know what all of the interactions are and what all of the decks do. I have to know like what all of my options are at all times, you know? Yeah. And I, I just, I don't want to do anything poorly is basically what it comes down to. Yeah, no, can definitely relate. It's, it's, it's a problem at times. Then again, it's probably what brought us both to where we are. So I'm pretty thankful for it at the same time. It, it, it right. sure is annoying every now and then. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. I, I do like the fact that I approach things that way because it gives me a drive to actually do things and accomplish things. And it makes me feel rewarded when I feel like I actually get things right. But at the same time, I don't know, being able to do things casually sounds like it's pretty enjoyable. It sounds, it sounds very fun. I, I, <laughs> I wish I knew how it was. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll figure it out someday. I doubt it, but you know, me, um, yeah, maybe one day in a, a very distant f- future, I, I will be able to, 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 f- to find a secret to it. But I mean, that's, that's for later. Yeah. Okay. So what about Jeskai Ascendancy? I'm just going to ask you about a few decks and what you think about them. Jeskai Ascendancy seems the big problem that I've seen, I haven't played it myself, but from playing against it is that Abrupt Decay is like one of the, one of the best removal spells in the, in the format, that's why I think that Nexus of Nexus of Fate, the reclamation deck that just popped out, seems like really good. But like Yeske Essence just gets hit by disruption and uh, and abrupt decay too hard uh, from from the limited experience I have towards playing against it. So I'm not not the biggest fan. How about you? How do you feel about it? Well, outside of Sultai, there aren't a lot of decks that can really play Abrupt Decay and don't have a lot of answers that actually interact with Ascendancy. So, like, yeah, obviously, your Sultai matchup is probably going to be pretty bad, right? Sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm talking from a pretty narrow perspective when, I, when right. I do these statements as well, just for the record. God. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you have a lot of experience playing from the Sultai side, and it's like, if I ask you how you feel about Jeskai Ascendancy, you know, you're going to speak to your experience and your experience is like, well, I thought sees them and cast abrupt decay and then they can't win it anymore. Yeah. But what what about in the the scope of like the rest of the format and how it matches up to things like, is this a deck you think could potentially take the, the combo role in the format? What I'm seeing now is that if everyone is going to be gunning for uh, Arc Light Phoenix and they're like, oh, against the combo decks, then I'm going to have a bunch of graveyard hate and you can play Jeske Ascendancy to to sidestep that. Like anything that sidesteps the hate of the like most popular decks of the format should be like should have potential and should be worth having a look at. So from that perspective, I can definitely see it being pr- pretty good now. But it's... Yeah, and it's you- yeah, that happens. That happens a lot in modern too, right? Where it's like, if if everyone is hating on Dredge, then you play Affinity or whatever. Exactly. And that I guess could become sort of the case in Pioneer as well. It can definitely see, it. for example, the Nexus of Fate Wilderness Reclamation deck that won the PDQ. It was like one of the decks that going forward now, when people are gonna be prepared against it, not sure how powerful it will be, but just case, I can definitely see just case Ascendancy just being this one. That like over oh, this weekend was perfect. No one came to prepared, and no one had a clue how to sideboard or play against it, kind of thing. So I can definitely see it pop up as like one of those decks. As for a mainstay, I'm not, I'm not confident in speaking like, oh, it will for sure be be good at that. But at at least I could see it as something, something that does that. Yeah. So my thoughts on it are: I ran into it a few different times with various decks in the Pioneer leagues, and there were moments where 
I was playing a deck that just could not compete against it. You know, like I did not have the right setup and barring any sort of interaction, the deck is a super consistent turn four kill. And I, I tend to shy away from decks like that. Now I think back in the day, you know, when I was in my early twenties or whatever, I wouldn't mind playing one of those ridiculous combo decks on magic online. Like I would have taken some sick joy from taking a hundred game actions to kill my opponent or whatever. But (laughs) I know that I will probably never play that deck, at least on Magic Online. And it's kind of a shame because it just plays so many like bad and weird cards that I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those decks that I also had the experience of damn, I haven't really played against this before. And like the first few times I played against, like, oh, what is going on? They play just get sentence and I go. But there was easier. It's like this card is important. Kill it. Disrupt them that yes. way. Sadly, there's like, or well, sadly, and the fun thing about coming back to Pioneer is that I got some of these blind spots in the format from stuff that I missed or cards that I haven't interacted or played too much against. And I just uh, sentence is very much in that camp that I'm not very used to the card playing with or against it. Gotcha. And any so- any other decks that you. Yeah, uh, Ascendancy and Nexus were the two combo decks that uh, I, I think you nailed it, where they might show up from time to time as like the perfect metagame deck when people are not prepared for them, but are very unlikely to be format mainstays. And I think that that's a good place for combo decks to exist in Pioneer, unlike, you know, Copycat, where it's just like, well, this is, this is one of the best decks, and it's just always going to be around. This is just a fundamental part of the format that you need to interact with. It doesn't have a whole lot of weak points but if if there's like fringe combo decks i like that a lot more and then uh mono red was the other one where i think is a lot better than people are giving it credit for yeah i saw um, canister play with it on, on stream a little bit yesterday and i i thought it did do, do, do you still think it's good even after the previous bans I, I think or after the bans we had just now because I thought like a lot of the things that it got right was against the was the two two band decks how do you how do you feel about it in this uh, post ban world well I think it was good against cat I am skeptical of how good it was against devotion actually but I could be wrong about that I mean I, I could I'll also be wrong. Yeah, I was more thinking of like being well situated against being able to put on pressure while killing off mana dorks, stuff like that. But I'm not sure if that often led into if the games played out that way or or if that really like resulted in like the games probably don't play out like that all the time. That was just a play pattern I imagined, but I haven't played it from either side. So I could definitely be wrong. Yeah. It just seems like play draw matters a lot if Yeah. Uh, the Devotion deck were on the play and they played an elf and you had to wild slash it instead of actually develop your board. And then, you know, maybe they started with Leyline. They play like a Burning Tree Emissary on two. It's just like Nykthos is going to spiral the game out of control. Yeah. Uh, Voracious Hydra for two probably kills one of your things and is this huge roadblock. So it it doesn't seem that good to me, but... Nah, 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 very, very fair point. I, th- I think you, yeah, you, you, you talked me into it. That was probably, but yeah, against Cat at least. That's 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 the deck. When I played the pod version, I always thought that like any red spells were always really annoying to deal with and like how how to navigate around them. So a deck full of them should probably was pretty well situ- situated against that. 
it felt like in the in the previous format that uh, people were mostly playing instead of seeing a lot of red I just saw a lot of phoenix that like a similar game plan right just did it very very yeah. differently except the except the cat matchup I felt like phoenix does this thing like a little bit more consistently but they're they're pretty different pretty different decks by by nature even though they're kind of trying to do the same thing in some regard. right if you get what i'm coming from that it's a pretty it's pretty long shot there but I, I think you get what i mean no i mean they they have a bunch of early removal they have a good clock and the the difference is that phoenix has very specific threats like is threat light but yeah. then has treasure crews to reload and give them a little bit more of a robust late game right so they're they're killing on like you know turn five, turn six after killing your stuff. And mono red is still trying to kill you like turn four, turn five. Right. And mono red weaker to things like collective brutality and any sort of life gain thing. Basically. Oko is like, uh, like the the biggest problem for mono red that like dark, like Phoenix is kind of, I mean, you're not happy facing Oko, but it's really not as big of a deal. Like anytime I, I played Oko against a mono red deck, I felt like I'm straight up cheating it's so unfair against them. So that's why you imagine. Yeah, one of the things I've, one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of these decks don't have any specific mono red hate. Like when the format started out, you saw a lot of collective brutalities, some uh, life goes on, feed the clan, stuff like that. Yeah. And now it just seems like, well, we have fatal push. We have Oko, we have Kalidus and people just don't seem to think that they need anything else. But but do they though? That because I was I I don't know. I'm <laughs> I'm like kind of trying to get to the bottom of this. Like I think the deck is good, but you might be right in that things like Oko and uh, of course Recruit Fix is another one that I yeah. didn't mention. It's like maybe there is just enough inherent things that are very good against Mono Red where if people don't even feel the need to sideboard cards for it, maybe it's just not that good. I I started out with a bunch of uh, like with some. Like some hate for the mono red deck with like some incidental life gain here and there, but uh, the more I played the matchup and the more I played, especially Oko against the deck, I was like, I probably can, like, f- very much cut down on cards against mono red because most of the times these like very powerful cards in Oko and Kalidas and back then also Corso Crucifix, like they just carried me to so many wins. And like I'll I'll focus on other matchups instead, and that that's why I think that it, unless like big meta meta shift especially now when cat is gone that mono red it just isn't in a great spot and i don't i don't think that the lack of graveyard height in or cyber hate in a lot of these cases is because people forget about the deck it's because i don't think it's very necessary basically well, I don't that makes think. me kind of sad <laughs> i mean it's just my opinion mono red could be great i just don't think very high of it in the current current format okay uh, last one, the mono green ramp deck. Is this something you're at all interested in or just not your style? No, a, a little bit. I've been, I've been looking at it. I do like a lot of the things that's going on. If Field of the Dead, just as a card, kind of solos most of the fair decks. Yeah. And that has to speak to, like, when, when one of your lands solos a, a big part of the format, that is definitely something looking twice at. I, I was gonna try out this mono green ramp deck now and like now that people are counting out stuff like big mana things or um, maybe, maybe or not but uh, i wanted i definitely wanted to try the was it raging tilt monster that did well with it 
his list and try it out in this new format. When now when we need a little bit less interaction and can focus more on our own game plan. Yeah, I think it's good. Uh, there there is the concern of Kethis and stuff like that, but that deck does seem very powerful and very good. Yeah, I I, I agree. Okay, cool. So, uh, have have you listened to our podcast before? Didn't I, I wanted to listen more? I listened to some of the initial, uh, uh, some of the not a podcast, but like when you guys went on the initial reaction to the bands. I had some time yeah. to listen to that b- b- before the stream, but actually, I haven't been able to catch the the podcast much. I I'm, I'm not a big podcast listener, or I've started to listen to podcasts more the recent weeks, but not previously. So, I'm afraid not. Word. No, I'm I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. Uh, <laughs> sorry if it sorry if it felt that way. It's okay. uh, I I mean you're you're talking about like reading my my Star City Premium articles, right? Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I know that you consume magic content and whatever. I, yeah. Uh, I, so I'm not I'm not offended. Written content is uh, has just been how I the word content like from from the early days and kind of how I kept on going. Yeah, kind of like what you said about gatherer. Like the old grandpa being, yeah, yeah. I've always read articles. I'm gonna keep doing that, but it might be time to uh, to l- look at look at different ways. Like, there's so many good podcasts now. Like, I mean, I I see this podcast. Like, there's the and there's other good podcasts in the community that I really want to listen to. So I should probably load up some of these podcasts and try to get into it more. Well, it, it's easy to do when you're doing other stuff like if you're driving or traveling or working out or whatever like are, are you just normally listening to music when you do these things yeah i mean i don't have the same like travel to work stuff because i i work from here right in front of my computer and whenever i worked out i've been trying to listen to podcasts for a while but i just felt like i enjoyed music way more because when you're listening to a podcast, you're still like you're taking information that you're processing as you're as you're doing like physical exercise. And I just thought that I, it was easier for me with music and just having something to easily listen to that I could like tone out in the background whenever I focus on something else. You know? Yeah, and I mean you can play something upbeat, right? And like that kind of helps with the workout rather than just listening to some monotone monotone person talk about magic or hard hey, stuff. Yeah, or whatever. exactly. For for, tra- for traveling, I I'm gonna start listening to podcasts a lot a lot more. Okay, so I asked this only so you know the deal. Uh, at the end of every episode, we take questions from the people in our yeah. Discord. I have three that I like and kind of want to ask right. you. Okay, so uh, ooh, maybe it's four actually. <laughs> Sounds good. Bring yeah, it on. We generally only pick one per week, but I think uh, having you on and people not necessarily being familiar with you and also you just having a lot of relevant information to share because you are like a legitimate professional in Hearthstone and I think have probably learned a lot from that. Uh, that could be helpful to the people just here. Just a so, different perspective, uh, right? I think that's like one of the little bit yeah. more in- interesting things that like so- some of the stuff that I said, up, said about magic in this podcast might be like widely incorrect if you're like, oh God, who is this guy? But what I'm really trying to bring is just like fr- from a guy that mainly focuses on another game's perspective looking into magic, then being like, oh, I'm definitely right about every single thing I'm saying. That That's really not what I'm trying to do. So I really, really hope that the people listening will find it's 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 somewhat interesting so i think it's a good thing to 
maybe just ask ask questions instead of straight up talking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I I kind of I kind of look at your perspective as like, you know, we ha- we have the 50 deck list that get published, right? But like what about the four ones? I want to see the four ones because there's a lot of gold in there, right? And uh, there's very little difference between a 5-0 and a 4-1, but we just never get to see them. So having you on is uh, a treat and everything. I'm, I'm glad that you were able to come on and do this. And I think the timing worked out well because, you know, Pioneer, brand new format. You've been playing a lot. You've been crushing. And yeah, this is good. Yeah, uh, I like it. All right. First question from Oliver Tomiko. Everyone whose question gets answered is going to get an Arena Deckless pin. Uh, which is why that's we do sweet. this, and they can only get the pins through asking us good questions. <laughs> ah, that, that's that's really nice incentive. Yeah. So all, Oliver's question is: Is competitive Hearthstone more profitable than competitive Magic? That's. I mean, profitable is a in like what 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 terms we're we speaking? I guess like as for making as for making a living out of it is like kind of how I. Uh, how I'm going to answer that question. I feel like that's fair. Yeah. So I look at it like, you know, magic, if you play professionally, if you're a platinum player, maybe an MPL player, like that is, that is the money you make playing the game. And if you want to make money while you are playing magic, but maybe not at the tippy top level, you have to make content. Right. right? And it kind of seems like Hearthstone is very similar, but, from my perspective, maybe has more opportunities for people to thrive in those spaces? Yeah, I would say that the biggest upside in in that regard, now I'm talking from a professional player perspective, we also have the the big content creators that uh, make a living of streaming. I'm not really speaking for those because I don't have too much experience in being like a a big successful streamer with a bunch of subs. But from professional player, I think that the biggest upside we have in Hearthstone is that we're... We're an established esport, which means that we have uh, these organizations that, uh, like, we have organizations that contract us and uh, pay us salaries that lets us focus on literally just doing well in tournaments and competing. Which is, I mean, we were starting to see that in Magic too, and uh, I mean, some people in Magic have have done that for a long time, but we've seen it in like a much broader aspect like in half simulation tons more like contracted players that focuses on competing so i think that's a very big thing for as a professional player now i mean the for like the very top it's looking pretty similar with the mpl uh, compared to grandmasters being like directly contracted with wizard slash blizzard respectively then i guess we'd also well if this was us last year i would say that we also have these tournaments with pretty large price pools but now we see magic also really coming in with like this the same sort of money for like making it an esport so i think that previously it has been quite a lot more profitable being in hearthstone than it has in magic from i guess now i don't have the same i don't have the insight from like the the top professional magic players so i might be wrong but i i feel like it's starting to even out a lot more and with uh, magic moving into more of an esports and digital direction so what if uh you are not mpl or grandmaster and you know you're you're like a gold equivalent pro in magic or hearthstone it depends for like most of now i don't know how it how it was for gold pros but in 
in Hearthstone, you can do kind of just fine if you have... You, I mean, you need to spend spend time on it. So if you have something going on for you, like if you have a semi, semi-regular stream or like something that brings you value for an organization or team, you can do pretty fine even as like a as a semi professional player in Hearthstone, but uh, it's it's really about like add, adding adding value to the scene and like adding value to uh, organizations and stuff like that. So there's a lot of players that right. think that it's like, oh, I just want to play Hearthstone and do just that, and then they expect teams or organizations to pay them, and I think that's kind of unrealistic. But if you really really put a time in and really make a career of it. I mean, in Hearthstone, it's fine. You, you can absolutely do that. In Magic, I see a bunch of content creators. I'm, I'm seeing these pa- uh, Patreons pop up with like cybering guides and stuff and people supporting each other on them. Yep. I think that's really cool. I, I, I love the concept and especially like how helpful people seem to be towards each other when it comes to it. Even, even I uh, s- subscribe to like one of the one of the Magic patrons lately. I was like, oh, this, this is... Ooh, which uh, one? Joe Man 5. That I got the... Vanifer decklist from the beginning. Really been enjoying his content, but I, but honestly, I haven't, I haven't checked out a, a lot of of content when it comes to like pioneer and stuff. But I really been liking Yoman's content. I think it's, I think it's really good. Yeah, Yoman uh, is one of our mods, and his he was one of our earliest patrons. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he's he's great. He's excellent. All right, next question from Fireman uh, Firemind Twelve. What habits do you attribute to your success outside of actually playing or testing games? You know, things like exercise, reading, healthy eating, etc. And I saw a Twitter post about this from you the other day. Yeah. With when it comes when it comes to habits outside of gaming, yeah. I especially this year, I've been pretty bad at it. The previous years, and not not bad at it, but not as good. This year, I made a very very conscious effort to be like uh, things outside the game like my my physical health and uh, like having having a good diet staying in shape stuff like that it's just as important as actually playing the game and uh, i'm very happy i i did this uh, did this change in my life it is really i mean in way more aspects than just gaming it's been very very good for me but i think it's a an underrated aspect of being being a prof- professional at anything I'm not sure there was this article that were around the internet about like professional chess players and like a large reportage about the chess grandmasters and their their habits when it comes to exercise eating and all of that and uh, how disciplined the people like Magnus Carlsen and, and others were surrounding that. I think that's a really good read. Maybe... So how how's your uh, sleep schedule? How's that going? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> let's, let's not talk about my sleep schedule. I mean, I, I I have done a conscious effort to fix my sleep schedule, but I all I always keep messing it up. But I think that's too. You you you're really throwing me under the bus here, Jerry. <laughs> you you posted on Twitter. It's public knowledge. Okay, okay, it's very public knowledge. When you work with people from a bunch of different time zones, it's very hard to keep a normal sleep schedule. And also I'm really bad at it to begin with because when I get excited about something, say if I find this new card in a magic deck that I really like and really want to try out, then I can't go to sleep until I like, truly tested it. 
and that it's just it's the same in yeah. Hearthstone. <laughs> so I, I keep messing up my sleep skill repeatedly. It's something I'm trying to get better at, but I'm absolutely awful at it. Yeah, don't don't start off by blaming your friends in other time zones for your, your poor sleep schedule. That's not their fault. Okay, okay, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot my own fault. But to get back to the original question, I think that the things previously mentioned is like is very important. Like physical health, uh, exercising, like having focus just as much on the things outside the game as the things in game. But also, I wouldn't really. I've never seen myself as someone with a bunch of talent in in pretty much not a lot of things I've done. I, I never felt like a person with a bunch of talent, but always just having the drive to like work hard. That's probably where I, where I would attribute both my su- success in like both Hearthstone and Magic, if you if you can call it that. Just always striving to improve and never really being satisfied. Like as long as you have that drive, then I think that gets you very. At least it's gotten me very far in life in a bunch of different, like in a bunch of different ways. Just just following that, just try always trying to improve, always trying to get better, never really being satisfied with where you are. I think you are very talented at having great hair. <laughs> Thank you. That's a, that's a that's a talent I really cherish. <laughs> it's underrated, you know. Uh, so people say that. You know, exercise, eating healthy, et cetera, et cetera, is good and you should do it. But why, man? Like, try and sell people on that. Especially especially for magic. The thing is that people don't think about it too much, or at least not when you, like, whenever you're not super into competitive. But whenever you play these long tournaments, say, say you're playing a Grand Prix or a Pro Tour or... Uh, Whatever, or a long mythic championship qualifier where you have to play like more than 10 matches. One thing that's very real and that gets better with just like physical health is like mental fatigue. If if you're out of shape and if you're if you're not taking care of your body, then I think that like you get fatigued in in such situations during tournaments much like much easier. I know that I know pros in Hearthstone that have really blame that oh i'm always so good in the early rounds of a tournament but like when we close up on the last round last few rounds each day i always just loosen and make embarrassing mistakes because i'm tired really from someone that uh, like a year and a half back i i didn't focus too much on this and like the difference it makes now it's really it's it's really you might not notice it like immediately but after a while you start noticing like exactly how big of a difference it is and to me it's been huge at least i can't say i can't speak for everyone but i'm very happy i did it and that's the that's the biggest thing it has been to me at least except of all the other upsides in <laughs> all other aspects of life of like being energetic and right you say like, i guess it's like proven to be like you more happy and stuff like that i don't know whatever you just from a game related perspective that's that's the one that i've been very happy with and i usually like easily get through through long, long days really long days of hearthstone that can sometimes be like 12 12 hours plus cool i i appreciate that kevinosaur says what is it that intrinsically makes you skilled at ccgs and i think uh the the drive thing yeah. that you talked about and just like never settling that's probably yeah, it I, I that's what i would 
attribute uh, the most most of my success to. Uh, I'll always try to improve. You wanted to like undersell your magic accomplishments, basically, but you got to like the tippy top of Hearthstone. Do you think that you improved a lot in those you know five six years, however long it was? Or it's one thing to be like. Oh, I qualify for a tournament right. occasionally, but then it's like Hearthstone. You were just absolutely like crushing. You know, what's the, what's the difference? What changed? Uh, yeah, I, I do think it's actually if you look very closely at my career, I had um, 2015 when I first got up on the the pro scene. I had an insane start start of the year where I won a bunch of tournaments. Then I actually had quite of a quite a downtime where it didn't uh, really perform that well in tournaments over like one, one, one and a half years, something like that. Uh, and then I came back and then uh, I was back to my old self, so to speak. But uh, during this one, one and a half year period where I didn't win much, I think that I just had a really bad mindset towards the game and uh, didn't, didn't take it seriously enough. And uh, then I had like this like eye-opening moment when I was, I would even say that I was somewhat close to falling off the like Hearthstone pro scene where it was still very invitational based. Like org- organizers wouldn't like almost stop inviting me to tournaments because they didn't have results for a while. And I think that's like when the biggest improvement in my career came when I really started to take the game as seriously as I do now, which is for those not familiar with me is that... I think I'm known as one of those that play Hearthstone and like take practicing the game like a ton, the most seriously or most pros in in the scene. Then it's just that surrounding myself with other people that wanted the same thing as me. I've been part of 2018. We had a practice group that we called the Dusky Boys. That was the start of the, the former world champion Hunter Race, and then as uh, where some of those people that kind of fell off or like didn't was were as interested in the game anymore, we built a different one. So we always we built a different group as people left, because you always need to stay around people with the same goals and the same mindset as you. I at least I think that's really important. Those are those are so I, I think that realizing all these things along the way. There's a bunch of other different things I can also point at, but for sure, I feel like I'm always, always improving. I'm always looking for things that I can optimize or do better. But uh, now, I, now I feel I'm in, in a really good spot, surrounded by good people, and uh, things are going well. Good man, don't lose sight of that. Oh, for sure, for sure. So, what makes Hunter Ace so good? <laughs> What's his superpower? Uh, okay, so I. I'll, I'll try to say Huntray. So if I say Casper at some point, it's it's the same. Casper has the say has the exact same, if not more, like this competitive drive as 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 you you and I and I I bet like a a lot of other pros in both Magic and Hearthstone has. He has that times like more than anyone I I've met. He loves competing and he he hates losing more than. I'm not a I'm not a sore loser anymore, but I hate losing. Like big difference there. Yes. Same thing goes for him. He's also the most focused person I know. Whereas like I can enjoy doing other things outside of gaming and uh, have a good time with friends or do something else, go on vacation somewhere. 
had a girlfriend for a time, like went and did things with her. Uh, he always, there's this like running thing that everyone says that whenever they see Casper, he always has his iPad in his hand and is playing his game. He always says like very, very committed to the game. Uh, on top of being, he's an incredibly bright kid. He's very, very smart and very clever and good at figuring things out. Like w- what a lot of people would call you is like raw talent when it comes to like being thrown situations he hasn't been in before. Yeah. Yeah. So like you playing against Kepis or whatever, that's that's nothing for Casper. Exactly. Whereas someone like me, I struggle with that <laughs> a ton. But Casper uh, could probably do like could make the best out of the situation and probably navigate it pretty nicely if he was into magic. Yeah, he's, he's just like, oh, I know the cards, do these things, think about it for a little bit. Okay, like, this is how the deck operates, this is how I need to interact with them, and he just goes. Yeah, yeah just by thinking about it, whereas I, about, like, my fifth time play against Kefis, when that time comes, I'm like, oh, this is what happened the previous times, and I apply that. But he can just, like, think it through and be like, oh, that's how it is. That That's how this is going to yeah. go. Which is also, in, like, some of the, some of his more iconic like Hassan games through his career you can really see this where like wow this is a weird situation that no one's ever been in before and just navigates it really nicely it's it's very impressive to see and it's very humble too like whenever we're testing he never he's never the guy like oh you absolutely do like this and this because of this he usually takes a back seat and whenever he asks for his opinion he, he says it but he's it's a pretty is is a humble and nice guy that doesn't want to really take too much space. He he listens a lot to yeah. other people and then he applies like the parts of it that he finds useful to his own gameplay and does that very efficiently too. Yeah, listening is huge. So how how do you how do you get the drive though? That's the thing. It's like if people don't start with that, are they just kind of like drawing dead or what? I don't know. Like for me it's been I've tried to find the drive in like other things that aren't gaming but like it's to me at least it's like something i have or i don't if i really like something then i usually find this that oh i really want to improve i really want to get better at this but i really have a hard time forcing myself to uh, to do things that i or like do things passionately that i don't want to do you know right yeah passion passion was the word i was going to use because that's exactly what it sounds like yeah, no, I, I would say it has. You can probably, I mean, you can learn how to like something if you if you give it enough time. But I don't think you can like force yourself to to like something. I, I think you need to come also from the right mindset. For example, I said it in the beginning of the show that it was never really about trying trying to make a pro career of it. It was just about I really enjoyed playing the game, and I really think that that has to be like your starting point. That you really have to genuinely enjoy what you're doing if you're doing it for any like other reasons like i want to get to the mpl and make a bunch of money like that is probably not gonna cut it i don't know a single a single one of like the top players in hearthstone that plays that plays the game because you want to make money or anything else from it but just like oh i really enjoy playing this game all right last question evil guy if someone started on Hearthstone, what would be your recommendation if they wanted to shift to Magic competitive scene? That's a good one. I would say that like go on Magic Arena. Magic Arena, I mean, you gotta learn how to, uh, 
like magic as, as a game, right? But if you want to get like close to the Hearthstone experience, then I think that Arena is like the same way that you can grind games, try different decks. You have you have like the ladder system, etc. As for to like to get used to it, like getting a volume of games and learn like the learn like metas and stuff. But I guess for getting started competitively and like what tournaments to play. The, then you should probably not ask the Hoston guy about that. That's probably a better. That's a, probably a better question <laughs> for you. But you're a Magic guy, man. You're you're interacting with organized play on Magic Online. You're playing in PTQs. No, I don't know. Yeah, if you wanted to get caught up on a format, what would you do? Is <sighs> I mean, what I would what I would do is uh, looking at it from someone that has not been into Magic and just playing Hoston kind of perspective. Or, you know, you've been out of magic for a year. You're kind of wondering what's going on. You want to dip your toes back oh, in. I, I go to Star City Games and I read like the latest two weeks of articles pretty much. Then I do the same for a bunch of other websites. And uh, just like getting in a lot of written content and uh, trying to learn from that. I watch streams. I think streams is a really good way. I like learning a format. You can even, if you're into that, like ask the streamer questions like live in chat. I really think that there's so much content online now that you can you can really learn a format really well just by looking at the right places online. I usually try to find streamers that focuses less on entertainment, on more on becoming like similar minded people that tries to become good at the game. Yeah, me too. For example, some of the it's, it's some of the magic people I follow are definitely the ones that are at the top of the list of like magic viewership anytime you watch them. But I'm also like just following some viewers that doesn't have a lot of viewers at all lately. They're just been some of my that I've been watching almost every night, just trying to just because of how they're approaching the game. Give give shout outs, man. Uh, okay, so, so the guy I've been like watching that like actually looking forward to when uh, when his stream is this flesh eating gnome. He is usually doesn't have too many viewers from what I've seen, but he's always. He's been like very quick on finding decks in 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 standard. He was playing uh, like now, Teamer Reclamation had like a breakout performance of Leon, right? And uh, he, he yeah. was the first one I saw that playing on Arena to like good success. I think it was he was ranked two Mythic just a day or so ago. I never saw if he got rank one, but yeah, just just been just been very very pleasant to watch. So. When I was watching Hearthstone, I tried finding those people and the people that I eventually watched the most, I think, were you when you streamed, Zalay, Tyler, and Asmo. Yeah. Yeah, those, those, those would be, those are the, pretty much the same people that I watch too. I watch, uh, there's like Boar Control. Life, Life Coach was good too. Oh, Life Coach back when he played. He's he's working on uh, Runeterra now as far as I know. So. Oh, that's awesome. How many different streams do you think you watch hmm. for Magic? Actively, I usually bounce around streams a lot. Like especially now in the in the Magic section. I usually bounce between a ton of different streams until I find someone the, like, like I'm looking to say learn about Pioneer and uh, and maybe there's like some specific archetype that I'm trying to learn about. For example, after playing against the uh, Kefis, I'm like, damn, I wish there was someone streaming that deck right now so I could learn a bit about it. 
So, yeah. so I'm pre- pretty specific about it and bounce around a bunch of different Steve. I probably have like a group of like seven, seven to 10 people. That is like my go-to streams at uh, different times of the day. Like whenever, whenever I don't have any specific I want to watch, but, but that's between both Hearthstone and Magic, mostly Hearthstone then. But okay. in, in Magic, I bounce cool. around a lot. I've been, uh, yeah, I, I'm used bouncing around a lot between Magic streams currently. <laughs> right on. Well, we end the episode by someone saying that's game in however they want to. You can say it quiet or loud, fast, whatever. Uh, so you get that honor. But first, I want to just, you know, thank you for coming on the podcast, hanging out with us, dropping some knowledge. And if you want to talk Pioneer, you know, my my Facebook messages are always open. Yeah, for sure. Th- th- thanks for the invite. It's been it's been really fun to um, to just just talk talk about magic for a while. I hope the I hope the listeners en- enjoyed it as well. I got pretty big shoes to fill in, Brian. I hope I hope I did him justice. But yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. It's been it's it's been, it's been a great deal of fun. And yeah, for sure, let's talk about Pioneer in the future. Yeah, and then, you know, tell tell people about your Twitch and Twitter, all that stuff. Plug all your stuff, and then we'll get out of here. Oh, yeah. All right. I have a Twitter, which is <laughs> mostly Halston, but every every now and then I tweet about magic at ages underscore orange. And then I have a stream at twitch.tv slash orange underscore ages. Uh, so, yes, the other way around. Uh, and those are pretty much the two social medias I use mostly. I, I stream Houston daily, but also try and get in Magic streams a, a few times a week uh, for shorter periods of time. Awesome, man. All right, sign us out. All right. And that's game. Good luck.